0: Hey, Latter-day Lesbian listeners, guess who is the guest host slash podcast contributor this week? That's right, yours truly, Kimberly Anderson. Uh, so, I was, you know, just finishing up an episode of my podcast, and I got this Marco Polo from Mary and Shelley. They were in a bit of a bind, and they were falling far behind, and then, you know, all that. Anyway, they asked me if I had a podcast that was in the pocket that they could use this week. On Latter-day Lesbian, I'm like, heck yeah, I have my own podcast. It's called Therapist on Therapist. I am interviewing as many TikTok therapist friends as I can, and these people are amazing. I think LDL listeners will particularly enjoy the one we're going to share today. This is Mariah McCary, LMFT. She practices in San Diego, and she has her own kind of journey with spirituality. It's a little bit different than the traditional route through spirituality, but I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Anyway, it's a thrill to be able to help out Mary and Shelly. As you all know, I, they're kind of friends of mine now, and it's nice to help your friends, right? So I hope you enjoy the podcast, and thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Therapist on Therapist. I am your host, Kimberly Anderson. Today, this morning, oh my gosh, you guys, I'm just beside myself with how awesome this is. I'm gonna gush and it's gonna be embarrassing and I don't even care. Today I'm interviewing Mariah McQueen, LMFT, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, Uh, Mariah works in a private practice in San Diego, California. She's been practicing for six years. She has a really special way of working with individuals, uh, working through family of origin and various attachment-related trauma. You're going to learn so much about Mariah. I knew I was going to love her before I even interviewed her. And this is the first time we've ever really talked with each other, so you're going to find me discovering all kinds of just magical things about her. Anyway, I have prattled on far too long. Someone told me to shut up and get to the interview. Thank you so much for listening. Hi. <laughs> why, why, are we, why are we googly at each other? I. This connection with you is so unexplainable.
1: I know. It's really precious, isn't it? What a gift. A gift oh.
0: and the fact that you consider me a gift is beyond comprehension because oh my, my amygdala gosh. says don't accept gifts
1: oh.
0: especially from people
1: yeah well I'm giving I'm here we're here we're giving it freely
0: I have a feeling that so I'm recording now I have a feeling yeah, that me this, too yeah this part yeah. this part of the recording will be part of the podcast so let yeah. me actually introduce you great uh, welcome to the podcast. I am Kimberly Anderson. I am uh, infatuated, enamored, enthralled, <laughs> enlightened by my guest today, Mariah McQueen, here a- I am. LMFT. LMFT? Damn you. I'm only an AMFT, so I'm jealous.
1: It took me a while, I will tell you. It took me a while, but here I am.
0: Tell me about your journey in your letters.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, so I started grad school. Um, I went to Bethel Seminary here in San Diego. It is a um, a satellite campus of Bethel University in Minnesota Um, and I went to, I started, what was that, 2011 I think. Um, It ended up taking me four years Um, Because I had just gotten married, and my husband was also going to school at the time, and we figured that both of us in full-time school at the same time probably wasn't a great idea, right?
0: So that's where you got your master's
1: degree? Yes. Yes. Was it a cohort model? Yes.
0: So so the entire cohort took four years, or did you drop out of it?
1: Well, no. So, well, it was a cohort model, but I, um, I only, I think I only took like one class the first year or something like that. So, um, but then the people that I ended up, um, so the people in my second year ended up being my cohort for the full, um, for the rest of the time. I was, um, yeah, so I, because I was in seminary, on top of doing the full, like, MFT training and all that kind of stuff, we also did a year of theological studies um, and did an integrated program. So, so.
0: this is a fascinating. I'm not sure I would have connected a year of theological school and yeah. associated coursework with your MFT yes. program.
1: Yeah, it was integrated. It was amazing.
0: Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I I will tell you this. I was thinking about it on my way over here, and I... Uh, I it was invaluable to me because I think um, I, I I appreciated my time at seminary because I left with way more questions than answers and um, just felt a lot of freedom to explore spirituality in a way that I don't think was offered in any church experience that I'd ever had before. Um, I'm going
0: to put a pin right there. We'll come back.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, it was amazing. I loved my professors. They were scholars and theologians and were like, yeah, there's this like there's there's a lot more out there than we understand. So <laughs> it was it was really beautiful. and then and then to see um, each of our as they were presenting, they would do this, you know, as they're presenting like um, theories of th- practicing therapy, they're like well how does your understanding of god and the divine influence this practice and how do you how do you see that as being an integrative thing and so it wasn't like god made therapy this way it's like how do you understand who humans are based on who you understand God to be. And so it was just this really beautiful way of looking at it and understanding. And so when we're talking about like attachment and our attachment with God and how that's influenced and all that kind of stuff. So it's it, it was um, a really beautiful experience. So um, yeah, it was great. I loved every minute of it. And then I graduated and have since yet to find another community that is that, uh, I don't know.
0: What's in that sigh? Uh,
1: I I think there's just, it it was just sad to me. I grieve the loss of that kind of thinking and exploration and, um, you know, openness in having spiritual conversations. You know, I don't think that's present in a lot of churches. And so um, I've actually been kind of spiritually homeless for the last few years because of it.
0: I'm feeling very emotionally drawn to you right now. Mm. And I think that you have just articulated something that I did not know about you, mm. but something that I'm hearing now about your seminary experience, about your yeah. MFT experience. Yeah. And especially this phrase of spiritual homelessness, I very much identify with that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, very much identify yeah. with almost being like a spiritual exile.
1: Yep. hundred percent. Yeah.
0: And I am trying to create that community.
1: Sure. Well, and that's so interesting because I feel like TikTok has been more um, comforting. I think in that way than any actual like embodied community that I've come across at at this point that I've come across. Yeah, it's it's been really, really, really comforting to um, to discover the like progressive like ex evangelical community um, for that reason because there's there I think there's just so much value in in like spirituality and yet the constructs that are put around it are so damaging right i mean you don't i don't need to tell you that right, right? <laughs> And so it's just been very comforting. And maybe I'll too. challenge
0: that just a little bit. Not yeah. are damaging can be damaging.
1: Sure. Yes. 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 Can be damaging and oftentimes are.
0: Right. It certainly was damaging to me, but I also want sure. to. Sure. Yes. Place
1: place R- yes. Yes. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Thank you. Thank you for the duality. Right. Right. So we're
0: just going to practice a, ton of, a shit ton yes. of BBT today.
1: Yes, we are. We are. Right. 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 Can be damaging, have been in some cases, not always are, right? Might, may have been in certain, in our experience. There's nothing right? I hate
0: more than hyperbole.
1: I know, right?
0: That's hyperbolic. Right. It
1: yes, yes, yes. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's just been really fascinating and comforting and exciting to, to be exposed to, um, to that community on TikTok. And so you have,
0: and do you have an MA or an MS?
1: MA. Mine's yeah. an MA as well. Yeah, Masters in the Arts of Marital and Family Therapy.
0: Do you consider it an art or a science?
1: Oh, both. 100% both.
0: Yeah, I do. 100%.
1: Because I super geek out on brain science. I, like, I, so cool. (laughs) And I know you have your little brain. Your little brain. Your little brain model.
0: I ordered another brain model, and it's a Uh puzzle.
1: That's so great.
0: It's not as That's robust. So
1: I always just use my hand, you know, the Dan Siegel hand model. But I know, flip our lids. And but, I have a
0: puppet for that too. Do you? It's a hand puppet.
1: That's amazing.
0: It's pretty cool. Oh, I I'm a super that. brain
1: geek. Yes, I love and yeah, brain geek. I'm also learning a lot about um, like our gut and how our mm-hmm. like our bodies develop serotonin and how that fights. You know, I'm reading a book right now called um, "This Is Your Brain on Food." It's fascinating.
0: I've heard that book, but I have not d- dipped into it yeah. at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating. So it's talking about the fact that 90% of serotonin is developed and is like born in your gut. And so depending on what you eat has like huge influences on your ability to produce serotonin naturally. Right, right. So
0: what's my serotonin superfood?
1: Uh, I haven't gotten to that part yet. I just started a couple weeks ago. When you
0: find it, please share yes. your your
1: infinite wisdom from the book i i know i know i'm excited about so anyways i it is an art and a science right recognizing that you know uh the way that we are designed the way our body is designed plays a huge role in all of this but then also like our experiences and you know nature versus nurture man you can't really can't really you know
0: where's the duality in that statement
1: I mean, you can't. You can't. I think it's though. nature
0: and nurture.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. You can't. You can't separate them. So, anyways, it is both. Yeah. So I graduated in. Um. I. Twenty eleven. Uh, you said. Well, so I started school in twenty eleven. Um. Did two three years of schooling, and then did my practicum at the San Diego Rescue Mission, working with the homeless population there. Um. In. What did, a residential what did that teach community. you? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What did that not teach me? Um, one is the power of compassion. I walked into that job feeling like, because it is a job, they just don't pay you for it, right? Um,
0: <laughs> done that.
1: Right? Um, but I walked into that position feeling like, God, like, you know, the homeless population, there's just so much comorbidity. There's, like, severe mental illness, severe trauma, in many cases, like a lot of isolation, like all this stuff and like, what do I as a trainee who's, you know, like, you know, had no experience, what do I have to offer these people? You know, so much like imposter syndrome stuff. And, and I, what
0: did you have to offer them?
1: Like space, compassion, like like uh, the power of just like the therapeutic power of just valuing another human and seeing their experience as valid is like you, you can't understate it. So I think that was just such a tender and exciting place to like launch into being a therapist because it was I I, I mean, literally, the majority of my first sessions would be these people coming in and us sitting together and them just like, Sobbing uncontrollably because they'd never sat in front of somebody who was willing to listen to their story before.
0: What? like well, I said it before, but well, I'll say it again. What right. again? Right. So I have an I am an MFT as well, mm-hmm. and I f- have found myself in the past. And I worked com- in community mental health for about oh two and a half years in Sacramento
1: mm-hmm.
0: at the Native American Health Center, mm-hmm. and I found myself very often feeling short. Uh, short-changed maybe, or internally sure. short-staffed because sure. I didn't have the social work background.
1: Yeah. And well, lucky for, I mean, at, at the rescue mission, it, we we were working in tandem with our case managers, and so we didn't have any responsibilities in that um, in that regard. That I actually took a job as a case manager um, before I graduated there, and I hated it. <laughs> so... <laughs> I just couldn't handle it because I was working in one of the programs where it was like a transitional housing unit and so their housing was on the line all the time and I just I couldn't I could not I just I was so anxious. I was so anxious because I was constantly having to like police these poor like And if not you were poor, anxious, but, just
0: imagine how Yeah,
1: how exactly. No. Down. It was it was awful. So, I I knew at that point that I was made to be a therapist and not a social worker. And, and I knew that, you know, that, that my, my skills were better used elsewhere (laughs) because I was just so.
0: Absolutely. But I I want to make sure that we, that people that listen to this podcast understand that social workers are also therapists.
1: Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's say case managers, right, right? let's Let's separate the difference between case managers and social workers because social workers can hundred percent have those skills and and have those roles incorporated in those jobs. Um, as a case worker, though, I was not um, I was not cut out for that piece of it. The
0: subtle nuance of social worker versus MFT versus LCMHC versus, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, all those things, yeah, it was lost on me before I went to school. Mm-hmm. Even the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist was lost on me before I went to school.
1: Well, sure. I mean, I don't think those things are common knowledge, which is part of why I think people get so stuck, right? And then they come into therapy thinking that we can prescribe them things. And I'm like, mm, actually, no, you have to go to somebody else for that.
0: Well, I even had a misconception about my own degree.
1: Mm. My mm-hmm.
0: degree is I have a Master of Arts in Counseling Psychology. Sure. Sure. And I am not a psychologist. Yep. And yep. I am a psychotherapist.
1: Sure. Totally. So confusing. Well, and what's crazy about it is in California, at least, they're super strict on, like, how you present yourself, you know, like, not um, not being misleading in terms of, like, who you are. So what can you call yourself? Like, what, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's just very
0: confusing. So I had a psychoeducation about what therapy is and what it is not while I'm (laughs) actually trying to become a
1: therapist.
0: (sighs) I imagine that that experience is not uncommon. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Although I do think, and it's funny if I look back in retrospect on like that first month or two, or even maybe that first year of school, I felt completely underwhelmed. I'm sorry, mm. completely overwhelmed and underprepared because I didn't have a back I
1: was going to say underwhelmed. <laughs> well, I didn't either. I I had a, my bachelor's is in, is in art history.
0: Okay. Okay. Now the pieces <laughs> are falling into place. This so is my why bachelor, I love you. I know.
1: So my bachelor's is in art history. Um, I went to San Diego State. Um, I got in uh, my dad I, is an architect I
0: know we know some people in common outside of therapy I
1: there's got to yeah there I'm sure there's there's somebody in So there.
0: your dad was I'm sorry I cut you off Yeah my
1: dad was an architect um Grew up in like a super creative house, and so I always thought that I would do. Some, grew up dancing, so I th- always thought that I would do something like creative in the arts field or something like that. Took an art history course in community college, loved it because I never had like a specific medium of art or anything, but I always just loved like expression, you know. Okay. And so
0: I'm going to put yeah. your your art history bachelor's on the line. Oh God! To, to the test.
1: It's been like ten years. That's o-
0: that's okay. These are going to be <laughs> these are going to be easy questions. 10. Favorite period of art history? Uh, God, I don't even know. If it ain't Baroque, don't fix it.
1: I hate Baroque, (laughs) actually. Baroque and Rococo, literally just like, (laughs) I can't do it. It just gets under my skin. I can't. It's too, like, floofy and fantasy for me. It's just... It's just too much. I was gonna say, like I know I know what my least favorite is. I don't know if I can tell you what my favorite is. But you know what was so moving to me about my art history experience was um because I don't I don't know if I, I, I could name a favorite piece, but I think one of my favorite moments in art in my art history experience was I feel like that was the first time that I was ever exposed to body positivity. Mm. Because I'm looking at all of these, like, Renaissance painters. Peter Paul Rubens. Right. Like, who are painting these, like, beautiful women who look so much more like me than I had ever seen, like, uh, than I had ever been exposed to in any of the art that was made recent, or, like, film or anything that was made recently. And so I just had this, like, really beautiful moment where I was like, wow. What was
0: it like for you when you saw the Venus of Villain House?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, and I've seen her in person, and it's just like, you just cry. You just cry. Yes. Absolute. And it's, yeah. And and to see them, and to see them in this, like, in this glory, you know? And then to 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 be able to identify with the shape of their body as being like beautiful. And then feel so much I, I don't know, I just felt so much more at home in my own body, recognizing like it's not, you know, the culture right now is about making us into something that we're not, and that's not natural. But to have to see like the human form in its like natural beauty and like glorified, I was like, oh. That's powerful. So, anyways, super fun. I loved so, it. So,
0: you, so you, we've done a really good <clears throat> job of dis- distracting and avoiding the original question.
1: Oh, what was the original question? Who's my your favorite? favorite
0: period of art history? Oh
1: God. See, I still don't know if I can nail it down. I still don't know if I can nail it down. You, I really you are
0: as bad with this as Jess was identifying what her favorite songs were for her pod.
1: You know, I thought I did think about that question because you gave me a fair warning. So I do have, I do have a few to speak on um, when you ask me that later, but <sighs> I don't know. I don't think I'm going to answer it. I don't have anything coming to mind. And so it's. How do,
0: how do we feel about the Dutch masters? Uh, <sighs>
1: uh, how
0: do we feel about Monet?
1: I love Monet. Or men, Man, uh, both of them. Uh, I think I think the the art that inspired me the most was the move to like impressionism, and again, this idea of like coming out of this box, right? Of like the constriction of what art was said to need to be and then into this place of like well but it doesn't have to be and you can you know and I feel like that yeah yeah that 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 movement in general in life I think inspires me a lot when I see people going from this restricted constricted like box that they've been told they need to be in to move into this like everything's like it, it doesn't have to be that way.
0: It sounds very similar to your journey through spirituality.
1: Oh, totally, totally, 100%. And I think that's why that, uh, you know, I journey in spirituality, yes. And then also like looking at Gen Z and looking at how they're experiencing sexuality and all this kind of stuff. So anytime like there's some sort of movement where, you know, people are moving out of the boxes that they were told they need to be in, I think is really inspiring and exciting for me. So.
0: Can I go back to the pin I stuck in the air? Yeah, yeah. What was your religious upbringing like?
1: I didn't have one. I became a Christian in college. How was that? Uh it was it was so freeing, I think, because I grew up in a very white suburban safe environment. Did you grow up uh M- more park? Okay. Um so town of Th- 35,000, sorry, not 35,000, Um, Very, like, we were very comfortable. Um, but it was very, like, um, I don't know. I think there was a lot of, like, it was very success driven and kind of, you know, we were always sort of pushed to do what we were passionate about and, you know, work really hard at things and all this kind of stuff. But it never really, like, I was like, but why, why? Like, I don't, I don't, and Uh, I think. uh, And
0: and I would say that that upbringing has served you well, because I see that in your manifesting your life right now.
1: Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that I appreciate the investment that my parents made in pushing me to be driven. My parents were both very involved, both in our school and in our community. And so it was always like, you don't just sit on your butt and complain about stuff. Like, you, you, like, be a voice wherever they're. So, I, I appreciate that so much from them. I think that the part that was lacking for me was this understanding of my own value outside of those things, though. Um, because I didn't really understand that outside of doing well, that, like, if I didn't do well, that I was, that there was still some value to, like, my existence, you know?
0: So you saw yourself as more <clears> of <throat> a commodity than, than right,
1: yeah. right, right, right. But it's and interesting so, that I think
0: about your. I hear you talk about your parents. Uh huh. They're they're teaching you um, s- strengths
1: based. Yes. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Totally. 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 But I think that I think the piece that was missing was like the being human part of that, right? And I think I think that's where I've had to really learn myself what it's like to you know. Uh, yeah, like where where does struggle come into that? Where does it sounds like
0: you discovered that in college in your journey?
1: Yeah, well, yeah. So so I was exposed to Christianity early in college, um, like right after I graduated high school, and I think the other piece for me is that I've I had always felt this like very. Um, I think it was anxiety driven, but I always, I always had this like I, I was a rule follower a lot, like a lot. There was, there was like I was very prude in like high school and college, or like middle school, high school. Like didn't want to like was sort of like weirded out by the idea of like. Boys and stuff, and never was interested in drinking, never was interested in like experimenting with anything or anything like that. And I think a lot of it was anxiety driven, but I felt like, oh, the Christian community like doesn't want to do all those things. And so I'm not weird for not wanting to. So I think it fit my anxiety really well and gave me and gave me kind of like an excuse not to be interested in that stuff and like have it be okay that I didn't want to like explore any of that. And again, I don't know, uh, obviously like looking back on it, I don't know, like, you know, if that was, (laughs) (laughs) who knows, who knows. Uh, And
0: I would say you're free to draw your own conclusions about you.
1: Right. Right. But so, yeah, but like 18, 19, 20 year old me was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't have to make excuses for not wanting to do these things. Like this is like, there's something in me that doesn't want to. And so I don't have to. And like, so that's so that fascinating really to hear
0: that Christianity gave you the freedom yes. to be you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I think. And then also on top of that, then to give me meaning and purpose beyond just, you know, get straight A's, do extracurriculars, like pursue your passions. Like, cause I think the other piece of it was that, you know, my parents were, were very encouraging and pushing me and they, they always had this mentality of like, you know, if you do what you're passionate about, then you'll be happy, and yet a lot of times stuff doesn't work out. And so then what? You know, like here I am investing in all of these things. And I think I came to Christianity at a point in my life where I was really struggling and not and really confused about it. Like I'm I'm like I'm pursuing all of these things that I'm really excited like I'm passionate quote unquote passionate about, but they're all sort of falling apart for whatever reason and I don't understand why. So that must not be the answer to like why we're here. So I think having some sort of a greater um, influence was really, um, or a greater meaning behind being here and doing what I'm doing was was really comforting and freeing.
0: How does that inform your therapeutic interventions and your therapeutic kind of arc of being?
1: I think the idea that like every person is valuable and sacred just because they are alive. Having nothing to do with who they are or what they accomplish. And having like such deep respect for them because of that, I think really helps me to create an environment where people feel safe because they feel valued.
0: That's incredibly beautiful.
1: And that, that's that's what I want to offer my clients because I feel like a lot of us have stories where we've been told somewhere along the way, in some degree or another, that we're not valuable, you know. And so I think it's pretty pretty moving and empowering, and um, creates an environment for healing when you can um, when you can offer value their value value and dignity to a person
0: all right so apparently mary and shelly have to put ads in their podcast you know please hold you've mentioned safety several times i am assuming and you've mentioned brain nerd stuff several times yes yes i'm assuming you're a fan of polyvagal theory
1: Yes, uh, I I have not been exposed to it actually, and so I I you keep I keep hearing it here because again I, this is why I love TikTok I'm learning learning learning, um I I come to safety from an attachment lens, but I would assume that um that it that it is very overlapping.
0: It's all about safety. Yes. Or yes. the lack of safety. Yes. Or moving out of safety or coming back into safety.
1: Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's huge for me. And my understanding of, of why we do what we do.
0: And I'm a huge fan of attachment as well. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of all this stuff. Well, not all of it, I guess. I'm a huge fan of... Well, it's not about me. It's about you.
1: <laughs> I mean, this is a conversation. It's not... <laughs>
0: And I literally, like Chelsea's interview, I felt like I talked way too much. Gwen's interview, I felt like I talked way too much. So going back and listening to them and editing them, or not editing them, I ended up putting stickers on my computer that says, talk less, listen more.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Right by the lens. Yeah. So I'm really trying to do that in the interviews specifically, but also it's paying off in, in session work.
1: Sure. Yeah. it's really powerful. I get, I find myself talking when I feel, which is really interesting in therapy. I find myself talking more when I have less capacity to listen. Well, yeah. When I have less emotional energy to just be present with what is, I find myself talking a lot more.
0: Which doesn't give that person to share their experience. Right. Which would force you to have capacity. Which is...
1: It, well, and I think I feel like it puts me in, an, in a predicament, too, because then I'm forced to be an expert, which I'm not. I don't have all the answers. You know? I don't have all the answers. Do you and wish so, you
0: did, or do you like that you don't?
1: I like that I don't, because I, I would never assume to know everything about someone else's experience. I would never assume to know that I am right about everything that somebody else is living, you know? And so I appreciate the freedom that comes with accepting that I am for as educated as I am, for as trained and as skilled in my craft as I am, that I will never be the expert on somebody else's life.
0: How freeing.
1: Right, I you know no sweat off my back, <laughs> you know like <laughs> you know like just I I don't I don't have to have all the answers and that's okay because I can't right we can't and so if we put that expectation on ourselves then it causes way too much anxiety I think that's one of been been one of the most freeing things for me growing up as a therapist I think has been the the realization. And like acceptance of my own capacity as a therapist, I can't change thing everything for my clients. I can't be the expert on their lives or what they need, right? Like it, there, there's limitations to how much influence. Like we have a ton of influence. Let's let's not, you know. Don't get me wrong. We are hugely influential um, in people's lives, but we cannot. There, there's there's limits to that.
0: It scares right? me how much influence.
1: Right. And I've and
0: seen
1: I, oh go ahead, go ahead. No, well I was just gonna say and, and and so with the influence that we have, are we making it more than it is by assuming that we're expert? Right? Are we are we making it more than it is by assuming that we have all the answers? Because I feel like that's more dangerous than saying like let's work through this together and like discover together and like chart this path together and be collaborative, you know? And I feel like there's, there's safety and empowerment there for the client because then they can step into their, their own influence in their lives, which I think people often struggle to do as well.
0: I use a very similar tactic, but um, the metaphor that I like to use is that they're driving the bus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sitting right next to them. Yep. I have a ton of maps. Yep. Any of the maps I've used before, either yep. myself or with yep. other clients.
1: Yep. I love this.
0: I know where the potholes are and where the dead ends mm-hmm. are. I think I know where the construction zone is. Sure. And when the bus gets started is up to you.
1: Sure.
0: How fast we go is up to you. Sure. When we How fast we slow down is up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, where you turn right, left, or go straight. Yeah. It's entirely up to you.
1: Well, and where the destination is.
0: Mm-hmm. Or even not knowing what the destination is. Right.
1: Right.
0: I like that the best. And I say, at some point, I'm going to run out of maps.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And at that point, you will have the ability to navigate without a map yeah. the skills that you have learned from our That's journey beautiful. together. beautiful.
1: That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I am a map. I call myself <laughs> a map. I sh- I, boy, I need to reconsider this word though, because it's so shaming, but I actually kind of like the idea of, I call myself a map slut. Sure. In an, in an empowering way.
1: Yeah.
0: I collect and I hoard paper maps. I yep. love them. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my office, there's a whole rack of just a stack of maps on top of my cabinet hmm. and I, I have spent years of my life studying maps and reading maps like books.
1: Yeah.
0: And so I think that's one of the reasons I identify strongly with the map. Sure. As well as narrative therapy, I identify very strongly mm, with mm-hmm, too.
1: Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm.
0: idea of a journey, of a hero's journey. Yep. Yep. Life is a journey. Yeah. So that's one of the things that, that I resonate and I'm hearing from you that resonate very strongly with mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is really beautiful because we really haven't talked at all before, other than chit-chat. Other than, comments, yeah, on lives and stuff. Yeah. And I knew there was something about you, a spark in your eye, a twinkle in your smile, something about Aww. you that no, I'm I'm not blowing smoke. I don't yeah. do that anymore. But I knew there was gonna be something in you that I was gonna be like, Oh yeah, Kimberly, she's special. Aww. And I'm super excited to find out what that is. And I'm finding out today what that is. art history. The yeah. spirituality component, yeah. the the compassion, mm-hmm. the infinite worth you have in people just from the fact that they exist and are alive.
1: Yeah.
0: Can I have a proposal? Yes. Can we be friends? I uh,
1: that is like not even a question you need to ask. We are friends.
0: Okay, okay cool. great. Right? I just want to ask. It's all about consent.
1: <laughs> right, consent, consensual friendship. Consistent, consensual. <laughs> Consent. Consensual friendship is
0: great. Yeah. Right. Interdependent. Yeah. Let's be interdependent together.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. I when I learned that word, I'm like, I was talking to my supervisor. We were talking about codependency one day. And I'm like, it's funny how we didn't really talk about codependency in school, but I was talking about it with my supervisor in my internship. And I said, Is there a healthy form of codependency? Sure. She said, Yes, sure. there is. Sure. And I said, Well, why have we not heard about this? And she said, yeah. You don't learn everything in school. And I said, Yeah, yeah. but this sounds like yeah. something that would be helpful to sure, know. Sure, with. sure, 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 sure. And she yeah. said, Well, the healthy form of, of codependency is interdependence. And I'm like,
1: oh, Tell me more about uh, interdependence. Well, and that's so true. I feel, and I, I, don't, I don't even know that I've ever heard that term, but I'm always talking about really like fr- friendships and relationships being symbiotic right where there's like this idea that i am supporting you not necessarily in the same way but you know and that you are supporting me and that there's this like back and forth like mutual support like you know that it's not yes like consensual like there's there's function and support like we are better together like we are better like our system works better together than apart right because we can
0: it's One of the things time. that I was shared by her was that part of that interdependence is the ability to pull back, mm. and for the other person to understand that you have a need to pull back. Yes, and on uh, and honoring and respecting that, and yep. not feeling, not taking Anxious. that personally. Sure,
1: sure. Well, because that would be the right the codependent
0: codependent aspect of it.
1: Right, right. Where it's like, oh, what does this mean about us that you need space? You know, fascinating, fascinating.
0: Okay, so we're friends. Yes. I mean, I knew there was no question about it. And I was like, "She better say yes.
1: <laughs> what if I said no? Oh, my I gosh. I would have been like, okay, no. taco
0: taco date is off the table.
1: I know. Sir. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait to take you to tacos as soon as you come down to San Diego. I can't wait. Because I know you love tacos, but like. It's just different here, you know. It's I'm just missing. Different.
0: I'm missing my Mission tacos in San Francisco. Yes. I lived in L. A. for mm-hmm. oh. Oh yeah, L. A. is
1: great. mm mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm.
0: I have to confess, I don't know San Diego that well as like a resident. <sighs> I've so been good. all through there and driven all around in there, but I've I've never spent a tremendous amount of time in San Diego. Uh huh. Um, I just know that growing up, we always made fun of the Padres because they were a terrible baseball team.
1: They were. They are getting so much better this year, though, which is great news. But, yes, they have been atrocious for a while now.
0: And then then their catcher, (laughs) of course, the Hall of Fame catcher.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 Tony. Is it Tony Uh, Pena?
0: Oh, Hells Bells, Kimberly. Are you really going to have to Google something on your fucking podcast?
1: No, isn't it? Uh, Tony Gwynn.
0: Tony Gwynn, that's right. I met Tony, Tony Gwynn, Gwynn and Tony Gwynn
1: Jr. Yes. Did you? Well, uh-huh. well, you're you're an honorary San Diegan then.
0: Really, that's all it takes.
1: I mean, I don't know. I feel like San Diego is made up of so many transplants that there are very few people here who have been in San Diego for longer than a few years. Right. It's
0: where What brought you? Well, you grew up there, or near there.
1: What brought me to San Diego? Oh, it's so embarrassing, Kimberly. Stop! <laughs> I followed a boy down here. I followed a boy down here when I was 18 years old.
0: You're romantic. You're romantic.
1: <sighs> it was bad. Well, oh, value, so much, value
0: judgment, shaming. It wasn't.
1: Mind. No, it wasn't so much that I, I mean, I just. I. I have to have. I have to have a lot of compassion for my younger self. There we go. There we go. She was not. She, she didn't know her own worth and value, and so she was rather codependent in relationships. And um, I was dating somebody for, I was, I was dating somebody for, at that point, it felt like a long time. Yeah, so he came down here for school. Um, so I applied to school down here. We ended up breaking up before I got down here. But I was like, all right, I guess I'm still going. <laughs> I'm still going. But then came down here and got really connected um, on my college campus and at my church and um, met my husband and we never left. So it's been great. love
0: story for the ages, I love it.
1: I know, I know.
0: Where would you you live if you weren't living in San Diego?
1: Um, Where would I live if I weren't here? You see, the thing is, I don't know that I could, like moving away from the ocean the idea of it at all gives me anxiety. For whatever reason, I've always I mean I've always lived in Southern California and so the, just the idea of not living close to the ocean, And it's not even like I go there very often, but there's just some comfort in it being there. It's a very (laughs) weird
0: thing. I would say it's not weird. I'd say it's a very natural thing.
1: (laughs) There's just like some, I don't know. It's just so comforting. I love being, I, uh, yeah, it's just so soothing to me to go there and just like look at the horizon and be like, oh, it's that bigger than me thing. Right? It's, the it's idea a dream. That I can, there's a dream yes. out there. It's like looking at something that's like like bigger than me. It puts me in perspective so quickly. Where I'm just like, oh, there's just so much more out there. There's so much more out there, and I think it's very soothing, anxiety-wise. I, yes, I'm, yes. I'm
0: just like, I'm yeah. Uh, can I put your art history degree to test again?
1: I don't know. I'm ha- I really struggle. I mean, you can you can try. I'm not sure if I'll be able to meet the task, but
0: favorite artist that incorporates the ocean? Uh,
1: I don't know that I could answer that. I've been so removed. I think the artists that inspired me most honestly were, um, and I've been digging back into my books recently, is um, photographers who document people. Um, I think my, uh, what is her name? God. Hold on. This is really embarrassing. I'm also having to Google something.
0: Because uh, I'm Googling too. I love this. Mary Ellen Mark.
1: Well, I love.
0: Dorothea Lang. Ah,
1: yes, Dorothea Lang. Helen Levitt is who oh, I've been really enjoying.
0: Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, you know I have two degrees in photography, and I taught. Yes, photography. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I know those things. Because
0: you're you're treading on hallowed ground now for me. Yes, women yes. documentary photographers.
1: Yes, yes, that gets me really excited. And I think honestly, that's how I understand my switch from art history to being a therapist. Is, I think what drew me to art to begin with was that the like art in general is like people's expression of life and understanding of life and they're making sense of it right and it can be so healing and moving in that way both for the viewer and for the creator right and so I think that's kind of where recognizing I I think that's kind of where my like therapist feelers were kind of born and then I had and then I went into therapy after I graduated college because I graduated right when like right after the recession hit and nobody was hiring uh <laughs> art historian with She's like a bachelor's it. degree no you're done
0: you are you're the dead end career path right yeah. there
1: yeah that was dead I was done um so I was like rudderless had no idea what I was going to do with my life worked at Seize Candy okay Seize Candy I'm, gonna, to pin my that. I'm mm-hmm. gonna pin that it was awful um And (laughs) then um, uh, got into therapy because I was like, what is going on? And then I was like, oh, what is this? What is that? Like you sit with someone and you talk with them and you can talk about what's really going on inside. And then you can help them make sense of it. And then they feel better. it was just very very exciting for me so then I was like oh yeah this is what I want to do
0: this is what I, I feel do. the need to, to answer my own question because I put mm-hmm. you on the spot mm-hmm. my favorite mm-hmm. artist of the ocean is John Singer Sargent
1: I don't know oil name, painter from the
0: sure. 1800s he would paint tumultuous waves and storms yeah. and chaos yeah. Yeah. and and you were describing I often would describe my process as a photographer is I see the world around us as a chaotic world
1: mm. mm-hmm
0: and then my job as an image maker is making photographs is to take that chaos and organize it in something sure. that's really appealing.
1: Yeah, yeah. To
0: strip away the chaos Yeah. and to leave only organization.
1: Yeah.
0: And sometimes that organization is a form of chaos.
1: Sure. Well, yeah, I'm thinking, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of Helen Levitt. I've been looking through her book recently. Um, and one of the things that stands out to me about her work is that she takes – photos of people when they're like bent over or in these like very funky, like when their body's in this like really awkward position you know, that you wouldn't necessarily see as something that would be appealing. But the fact that it's, like, this theme throughout her work is you can watch, like, all these bodies sort of, like, somebody's, like, picking something up. Somebody's, like, reaching for something or bending over, or like, you know, and it's all in the streets of New York. So there's all these, like, really interesting characters and stuff like that. So it's the idea of, like, taking this chaos and, like, organizing it into this theme of, like, oh, there's, like, this collective experience that we're having that, like, this is what our body does. It's really weird, you know. It's just very, it's great.
0: I so have cool. two. I have two dream dates. I want to take you on. Okay. First is the is the uh, American Museum or the California Museum of Oakland. No, I'm sorry, the Museum of California in Oakland.
1: Okay.
0: Which has the uh, Dorothea Lang collection.
1: Oh my gosh! What a dream.
0: A friend of mine, personal friend Diana Turnbow, she's writing a biography of Dorothea Lang. Wow. So I want to meet you and her there and go oh through. My the archive. Oh
1: my gosh. Oh my gosh.
0: And then I want to take you on a road trip to Tucson Arizona?
1: to meet
0: my to meet my friend Becky Simp, who is the director uh-huh. of the Center for Creative Photography. Oh
1: my gosh. At,
0: at the University of Arizona. Wow. And look through their archive. Can imagine. Becky's uh, has a has a hit, she, well, she's a PhD in art history and she wow. runs the museum. Yeah. She just finished a major book, uh, Life History on Ansel Adams
1: wow,
0: very thick tome. I will call it.
1: Yes.
0: The definitive book on his work now. Wow. And she would very much, in fact, I'm going to make sure that Diana and Becky hear this interview because they both, Becky, I think in particular will enjoy this because she has a connection, family connection with psychologists and psychiatrists. That's so cool. cool. Okay. Road trip. I love that. I come, I come get you in San Diego.
1: Yes. Well, and that's, a, that's such a cool thing. Like, I, I think one of the things that I appreciate about San Diego and then also being raised like a little bit close to LA is just the exposure that I was able to have into the art world and, and how much Getty. there is available. Yes. The ge- oh my gosh. LACMA. I I've, Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Getty, LACMA. And then down here in San Diego, we have Museum of Modern Art and everything up at Park and all these like, <sighs> it's
0: just great. It's good. Are stuff. you excited to let have the world open again so we can go see art person. Uh, like this like this
1: like just I haven't even allowed myself to think about what it's going to be like to re-enter spaces like that but I just feel so at home in museums it's such a soothing place for me to go because there's not like there's no other agenda than just to like be sit and like to sit and be moved by something and to just take in like someone else's experience and have that like influence you and in, or or like affect your own experience in some way. It's just so there's something so like transcendent about it. I just love it. So yes, I'm very excited.
0: That's how you were just describing sitting with people in therapy.
1: Right, exactly. So it's, it feels very it feels very close to me those two things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> what kind of project can you and I work on together that's like bigger than TikTok?
1: Oh. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> so the the yeah, bigger
0: than a taco tour.
1: Right. Um, Oh, okay
0: wait a minute is there anything bigger than taco tour
1: i don't know i don't know no tacos are king i know um i don't know well and see i get really excited about things like this kimberly and then i also i think one of the things that i've been sitting with um recently is like uh like loving spaces to dream like this and then recognizing like the capacity that i have currently and i feel stuck sometimes in that
0: but isn't okay so let's talk about art making though Mm -hmm. often it's the dreaming space it's the not making art space yeah the freedom to just dream and not worry about constraint and not worry about a box
1: yeah
0: that even the dreaming and allowing yourself to think big oh it
1: feels so good
0: allow but it allows you to think big within the the reality that you inhabit
1: totally totally So even
0: if you can't actualize this big, giant, grandiose thing, you can still think big and then have that.
1: How how does that influence your current situation? 100% thank you for reminding me of that. It's, yeah, 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 I do miss it a lot. It's like dreaming,
0: thinking big within a small
1: space. Yeah. Well, and this is so fun, Kimberly, because I really don't know a whole lot of other therapists who have these, like, you know, I I feel like we have very similar, like, co-loves, Right? And so it's fun. Well, starting
0: with tacos. Right. Ta- I mean, ocean. Yes, tacos, the ocean, art, art photography, air. female documentary, photo- photojournalist, photographers. Ah, oh my gosh, aren't they so wonderful? <laughs> and and speaking of breaking out of the box, the people that we've mentioned Helen Levitt, mm-hmm. Dorothy Lang, um, um, what's her face? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: they had to create their. I mean, oh my talk, about, talk about right. first wave feminism.
1: Right. Right. Right.
0: Okay. So let's pitch, let's pivot back into therapy, therapy. space. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, therapists you love to hate.
1: Therapists do I love to hate?
0: Historical figures, not current, not, not like people in your office.
1: Mm, I know. Right. That could get a little sticky. I was like, well, Who's listening to this? Who's listening to this? Ah, therapists who I love to hate.
0: And conversely, therapists you hate to love.
1: Oh, these are big brain questions.
0: You have a big brain. I feel comfortable asking them. Mm
1: -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Insert some uh, Jeopardy music here, please.
1: Right, right. Um, Okay, so I feel like the the work that I have the hardest time with or the orientations that I have the hardest time with would be things like solution-focused and... Oh,
0: that's fascinating because I hear that a lot in what you talk about.
1: Right, and that's the thing.
0: (laughs) That's fascinating to me. Right? Right. Tell me more about this.
1: Because I, this idea that like the problem, like if we just fix the problem, if we just fix the problem, if I can tell you how to fix the problem, then everything else will fall in line. That feels very backwards to me.
0: Okay. And I did talk about this with Janelle. We talked about treating symptoms rather than causes. Right,
1: right, right. Which is kind of what CBT feels like to me. I actually,
0: I don't like CBT. Right, right. I love DBT.
1: Yes, 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 yes. I love the idea of skills building and building emotional like distress tolerance and like knowing yourself, right? Because I feel like part of DBT is being very self-assessing and checking in with yourself and understanding understanding what's happening in my body and how do I make choices around how I'm going to manage that so that I can move forward and handle this particular situation right that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of being a more like behaviorally focused modality right i think the issue i have with solution focused And this goes all the way back to, you know, when I was in grad school, we would do these role plays and we would, you know, have to try on all these different theories. And when we got to solution focused, I was like having to do like mental gymnastics to try and like (laughs) like, figure out how do I how do I get what I know to be true to come out in this way that's just like, okay, if you have this problem and this problem weren't here, what would that look like?
0: So and how do we make solutions. the problem go away? So you're right. approaching solutions-focused problems with a solutions-focused way.
1: Right. And I'm just like, Ugh, that just doesn't feel like it gets deep enough for me. So um, instead we start in here and we understand why in here is the way. And when I'm saying in here, I recognize that this isn't a video. So I'm pointing to like my chest, my body. Like we start with what's inside how we, and, and create some context for how we got to this place, right? How did we get to the place that is feeling so distressed or stuck or trapped? Like what, the reason you came to therapy in the first place is because you're having a hard time, right? The reason I did
0: this exact exercise. Well, I do it all the time, but I remember specifically doing it. I think it was yesterday during an intake, right? Talking about, I mean, the, the the client is expressing some fatigue or some, some anxiety, and some, uh-huh. Uh-huh. some fatigue and some, and uh-huh. some pain, distress. And I said, well, let's talk about who you learned that from.
1: Right. Right. And so, so I come to, I come to therapy with the understanding that nobody does something for no reason. Right? So nobody, like nothing is happening for no reason. You don't just decide one day to be depressed. You don't just decide one day to be anxious. You don't just decide one day to have phobias or dissociate or all of these things, right? Like it doesn't happen in a vacuum right? So we're, we're looking at the symptomology. We're looking at, okay, this is what's hap- like, this is what's happening to you. So let, let, let's understand what it is, but then let's also under, like, let's look at the greater context. Like, where did you come from? What did you experience? How did you learn that this was the best way to cope with those things, right? We're giving lots, we're answering a lot of why questions. Like, why am I, like, why is this happening for you? What were those relationships like? What was that, those experiences like? What did they teach you about yourself? What did they teach you about how you need, to cope with it. What did they teach you about, you know, how to relate to others, right?
0: I am I'm, I feel like I'm being preached at in church. Right.
1: So we're understanding why all of those things are the case and if so then if we understand why does that still fit for you? Is that supportive to who you are as a person? Right. Are those ways of coping and relating, getting you to a place where you feel close and connected with the people around you? Right. And if not, how can we contextualize these experiences that you had, these relationships that you had growing up and recognize, wait a minute, I I now have a choice to to see myself differently, to treat myself differently, to love myself in a deeper and more understanding way so that then I can find new safety in new relationships or maybe existing relationships and work, you know, and and relate to them in different ways. Um, and so that's how I see the, the problem being solved. Isn't from like a, this is the problem now, let's like figure out how to solve it specifically, but really stepping way, 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 way way back and understanding like, why is the problem there in the first place? How did we get to this place where this is where I'm at?
0: I I think we're the same person. (laughs) And I shouldn't, I shouldn't, you know, pat myself on the back so strongly, but everything you just said, I just resonate with. Yeah so profoundly close to Mm -hmm. and i find that language that you have just shared being language that's very similar and very familiar to me that i use both for my own story sure yeah and for the story of the people that i'm working with right
1: that's so exciting a and, in a lot,
0: and in a lot of ways, Mariah, actually, what it does is it validates me. I find
1: myself right. being validated. Right. Totally. <laughs>
0: Not only as an individual, but also as a therapist. Sure. Because sure. I'm, I'm, I am new at this.
1: Well, so am I. I mean, relatively. I've been licensed for less than a year. Do you know this? It
0: doesn't. I don't care about that. <laughs> I just see the L. I've
1: been licensed for less than a year. Though... And I I got an
0: update from the BBS about track your hours. I'm like, oh, shit.
1: Where are you at in your hours? Oh, probably 1,500,
0: 1,600. Okay. And so guess what? When I moved to Utah, now it's Uh 4,000 hours here. Wow. And get this. uh, Those family and relational hours, consider the population I'm working with, trans people,
1: you don't have a whole lot of
0: them. No, because they're the most ostracized, the most rejected, the most oh, kicked out from their family system.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of why I got in with couples. So I graduated and recognized like, you know, because working in the rescue mission, it was really difficult to get relational hours even to graduate, right? Um, right. So thankfully part of the Rescue residential facility was um, mothers and kids um, portion of it, and so that so so we got a lot of stuff there. And there I had like maybe one or two couples um, while I was in there. But um, but then moving into my um, uh, we would call them now associateships, right? No, we're no longer interns because they felt like that was invalidating to
0: which that switched right when I was entering, and so there was, yeah. an, was not an is not an AMF yeah. or yeah. I Switched
1: like halfway while when I was um, while I was doing my chip. So, um, so I got right into private practice and started work working with my supervisor, Catherine DeBruin, who is an EFT um, uh, supervisor and trainer.
0: Do you enjoy so EFT?
1: I love. That's EFT. a strong reaction. I love EFT. Oh, my
0: gosh. I, I know I know this much about EFT. Tell me really? about it. Yes, I do not. I haven't studied it. I don't know anything about it.
1: Oh, Tell us what we need so to know good. about EFT. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Okay. So it gives you a complete framework for working with and understanding couples, right? Because it's talking, it gives you a basis. So it, it comes with, from the understanding that couples get stuck in negative interaction cycles, right? So you could be talking about toilet paper, you could be talking about finances, but whatever it is, like the same underlying pattern is going to happen, right? And it's influenced by, right, you're bringing in your own attachment experiences, right? Your own ways of attaching and then those slash trauma, right? Family of origin, all that kind of stuff. You're bringing in all of that stuff and then it's like co- like colliding In the relationship, and so your behavior is going to be influenced by both your perception of the other person and what it is that they're doing, right? Which is usually not the full story, right? Because when we're when we're perceiving someone, we're only looking at what's happening on the outside, right? Um, And then it's influenced by our secondary emotional experience, which is usually what comes out. At the other person, and then it's all, but deep down, it's influenced by our primary emotions, which is like where all of the healing work happens. And what happens in couples, unfortunately, is we don't ever really get to a primary emotion level where we're talking about because of fear, because of um, because of anger, mistrust like lots of different reasons right so how do we create safety fairy mm, baby You're, yeah. right how do we create safety in the relationship where we can get down into those primary emotion levels where I'm talking about why I'm scared where I'm talking about why I'm hurt where I'm talking about what um, uh, you know what what fears and and and, and um, uh, negative messages around myself? like where, where I'm sharing those with my partner, right?
0: I'm hearing a progression of levels yes. of yes. safety, trust. Yes. I'm sorry, yes. safety and then trust and then vulnerability.
1: Yep. yep, exactly. And so how do we create that in a couple, right? Because if we're only ever operating at a perception and secondary emotion level, we're never going to get the full story and we're not really going to be able to Um, have effective communication and problem solving, right? Because we're only working with part of the information. We're only working with part of our experience as humans. And so how do we create safety so that we can share that primary, like vulnerable place with our partner so that we can actually move through those things? It's very fun, it's very fun.
0: And would you say that couples is your specialty right now?
1: I would say it's like 50 50. I probably see half couples and half individuals, but I love, love working with couples. And the cool thing is, you can also use EFT with families and do that with parents and kids. So,
0: this Obviously, is what's interesting is because a lot of the things that you're saying, uh-huh. not everything, because, sure, it, sure, but many of those chunks, uh-huh. I find myself being drawn to kind of sure. naturally. In the work that I do with parents and and kids, trans kids specifically. Yep,
1: yep, Yep. So you would be really interested in emotionally focused family therapy. It would give... Well, and the reason that it's so cool is because it gives... It's very structured. It's empirically researched and has tons of research on efficacy and longevity and all this kind of stuff. It's really great. Um, But then it also is very structured in the way that you walk them into those things and... And has and has very practical like I don't know it just it just gave me it, it empowered me as I think a, a, a beginning clinician because if I was ever worried about what I would do in session I could just fall back on formula the, yeah fall back on the the strategy fall back on the theory to sort of guide where I was at I again I didn't have to be the expert I'm like these people developed this theory empirically researched it recognized how effective it was and then like they're teaching me you know how to do it and so as long as I like fall back on this in moments where I'm getting stuck and obviously there's space like there's plenty and like so much space to be um uh you know for it to be an art still, right? It's not like a boxy thing, no, but because
0: I, each individual <clears throat> situation is certain. Right,
1: right, exactly, exactly. And I think one of the things that it stresses always is this idea of being so present, right? This, the, um, you know, like people experience, the, the only way you're gonna get couples or families or whoever to be able to feel safe enough to be vulnerable at all with their partner is if they know that that's safe in general. And so that's where the therapist comes in and creates that safety, right? Like we're, we're mining, we're sort of swimming around in the emotional experience. We're understanding what's going on. We're asking them, what's this like for you to talk about this? What's this like for you to even share this with me? And have you shared it with your partner? Do they know that this is what's going on deep down inside with you? What, what would it be like for you to share this with them, right? What would it be like? For you to share this with them. Oh gosh, I'm really scared. Wow, do they know that you're scared to share that with them? All right? I can we check this in with them? Exact language yesterday. Right? This exact we, language. Right. So it would be really interesting for you to for you to do some 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 reading on it because I feel like that could really support the work that you're doing because again, it's so helpful. With couple, All right. So with, dang
0: it, I find myself like totally fragmented right now. Yeah. Because I'm just opening up and and getting scratching just very lightly uh-huh. at a book that leslie recommended the act yeah. for gender identity uh-huh. i ordered i ordered that mm-hmm. and then yesterday i just got a book uh cptsd workbook yeah that dr Barry recommended uh-huh. Uh-huh. you're recommending some eft stuff yes i still feel like i'm just barely getting a handhold on
1: uh <laughs> well and and but here, but that's the beauty, I think, of our profession, Kimberly, is that we will always be learning. And some, I'm an,
0: I'm very curious. I'm an incessant yes,
1: learner. Yes, we will always, we will always be learning. That's part of the freedom, I think, of our, of our job, is that we we always get to be growing and learning. And all
0: right, and, but I'm gonna go full on veruca Salt here.
1: Yes. Yeah. I want it
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yeah,
1: i want it now. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Anything you can listen to, or watch, or read by Susan Johnson is
0: okay. That's a name I do. I have heard that yes.
1: name. Yeah, she's that. She's the founder and creator of um, of emotionally focused therapy, and she's done. Yeah, well, she's just she's done a bunch. Uh, she's done so much research on couples she expanded it to families. She's now doing a lot of research on EFT and individuals and how that can work a well. that, that works also. So yeah, it's just, it's so cool. It's
0: okay. So, so this cool. is fun. Fa- okay. Pin that Kimberly pin that. Oh, hi. Hi ADHD. Thanks for showing right. up. Right, right, right. Uh, Thank you. Let's pause for a commercial break and we'll see you all on the other side with more of Mariah McCary. Uh, so I'm going to challenge you. Well, I'm not challenge you. I'm going to invite you. I think that since you're talking about safety continually
1: uh-huh.
0: and interpersonal relationships, I think yes. that you would really groove on polyvegal theory.
1: I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah.
0: Okay, what was the second pin? Yeah. Oh, Kimberly, oh it is snowing. Holy <gasps> crap. Co-
1: snowing? Look at this outside. It's so sunny and wonderful.
0: Okay, wait a second. You're show me yours, I'll show you mine.
1: Mm-hmm, it's okay. so sunny over here. Still, I'm wearing a patty, but.
0: (laughs) And I'm wearing, and I'm wearing, yeah, my sweatshirt. Yeah, yeah. I've got to open the Airstream door here. You're going to poop.
1: Oh my gosh. (gasps) Wow. That's magical.
0: It is dumping.
1: Hey, Copper. Oh. That's such a cute name for a dog.
0: From the Fox and the Hound.
1: I love that. I used to watch that movie as a kid all the time.
0: Deb Deb Dana and I think it's Stephen Borges are the polythagal nerds. How... How did you decide what to chase? I mean, cause I'm again with the, with the fragmented things I want to learn.
1: I think I always connected. Yeah, I think I always connected with EFT. Okay. I, I, like when I was in grad school. So the way that they did it in grad school was they, we had two um, theories of marriage and family therapy classes. And every single week we would dive into a specific theory and and this was at the beginning of our training, so we would have to dive into a specific theory, and um, write from that lens, and then also role play in that style. And by the and, end, and I'm just
0: and I'm sitting here going, where were you, Kimberly, during these classes?
1: Right, and then because we both
0: went to school in California, we had to have the same right, <laughs> essentially right, the same coursework.
1: Right. So, well, but then, so then this is what happened. So we had to then, by the end of our um, training in our theories classes, we had to pick one. And then from then on in our coursework, we had to write from that perspective. And we had to practice from that perspective. So we were, we were um, like thinking it and breathing it and living it the whole time. And so then when I went into private practice I found a supervisor who specializes and is certified and trains in EFT. And so Is that something got, you'll
0: pursue? Certification? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm working on it currently. So
0: Uh, Describe that process because not many people will understand that and myself included. So this, I'm curious about it.
1: Sure. So you have to, so to be certified in emotionally focused therapy, you have to have completed a certain number of hours being supervised, um, and doing, um, course training, which are called core skills. It's like a certain number of trainings. I don't have to do that because, my supervisor was a trainer, and so the supervision that I was getting, just in general, was doing all of that work anyway. So I, I get a little little boost out the door. Um, but then you have to do um, two different videotapes that are 20 minutes long that have to show competencies in like X, like skills and structure and things like that, and then do um, verbatims and write-ups on that experience, and then you submit a bunch of stuff to them, and they say, you're certified. <laughs> right. hmm
0: are the videos, are they role plays? Are they actual sessions? No,
1: actual sessions. Actual actual sessions. So they do one for what they would call um, stage one work, which is basically like de-escalating a couple, creating a groundwork on what their negative interaction cycle is, being able to... Um, uh, draw out emotional experiences, not necessarily creating safety yet, but just sort of like drawing out emotional experiences. That's what they would call stage one work. And then stage two work would be to be sharing that with their partner and drawing on those deeper emotional needs and um, sharing that with their partner and then their partner being able to hold and, um, you know, empathize with and respond to
0: that. How, how, how many hours of supervision and training is this? Would you say total?
1: I don't know. There's not, there's, uh, I actually, I don't know that I know the answer to that because I don't
0: have to. Is there a fixed number or is it just based on the portfolio that you submit?
1: Uh, well it, it is based on the trainings themselves. So the trainings are, um, uh, a certain number of weekends and then you have to present um, at each of those trainings, you have to present tape of yourself practicing, and then you get supervision on those experiences. And then on top of that, then you have to, um, do this. Uh,
0: can those trainings count as CE credits? Yes. Okay. So you can double dip there.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: So what CEs do you like to chase?
1: Uh, ones that make me uncomfortable.
0: Ooh, 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 Ooh. Right. With yeah. the vulnerability. Yeah. such as
1: well um I mean I, if there... it's too personal no, but... no no it's fine no I well and I think that that's important because if I were just doing things that made me comfortable I would only be like I wouldn't be working on my shadow sides ever um as a therapist and so the last one I did um, last weekend was an eight-hour training on suicide prevention yes um
0: have you listened to Janelle's interview
1: no I haven't yet
0: you'll enjoy it I think
1: okay yeah, so I just did. Yeah, so we just did that one on suicide prevention and things like that. Um, the one I did before that was on um, uh, white privilege and the power dynamic in therapy, um, the therapist-client power dynamic that comes into play there. So I like, I like to do CEU stuff that, that challenge me in areas that I'm not, that, that stretch me as a therapist. Cause if I have to sit there for X amount of hours, it might as well do something for me.
0: (laughs) And I have been in a lot of classes and I give the CEUs on suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been to a few, when I was working at the Native American Health Center, we did Mm -hmm. a lot of race work. Mm -hmm. There's never enough for white people. You can always do more. Yep um but i Great. kind of am like you what what is the thing that's like pushing back and saying no don't do that
1: or or not even necessarily things that make me super uncomfortable so much as it is like i want to things that i don't feel like i think where the anxiety comes from for me is like the the incompetence piece like there are things that i don't know about it right so like with suicide prevention it doesn't like the topic itself doesn't make me uncomfortable Right. I'm very comfortable having conversations with it, but I want to make sure that I am able to cross every T and dot every I and make sure that I I have like squeaky clean, like standards of care when it comes to things like that. And so, you know, I want to make sure that there's when if I'm presented with that, there's no reason for me to be uncomfortable in that situation because I know exactly what to do. Right. I know exactly like what my responsibilities are as a therapist, Um, you know. And so so that that I think is where the discomfort oftentimes comes from for me is like, am I doing everything that's necessary in this situation? Again, not because I'm uncomfortable with the topics themselves, but because I want to make sure that the skills that I have around that subject are like fully, you know, worked out.
0: You may enjoy a videotape or YouTube presentation I did kind of a replay of a CEU credit I gave at UVU Uh the last year about intersectional um, suicide prevention.
1: Well, and that was the thing I was so disappointed about with my suicide prevention training is they didn't mention the LGBTQ plus experience at all. And I was like, that's and gross so it, in, that, <laughs> in my opinion,
0: that's gross incompetence.
1: Right. right. So, so that was the question I asked at the end because what they did was they presented like all these different, you know, theories of how to manage suicide prevention and all this stuff. And I was like, well, wait a minute. There are like certain populations that deal with this like very significantly and aren't those things that we shouldn't
0: be like. Did they talk about veterans?
1: No.
0: Did they talk about um, Alaska Native uh, American Indian no. First Nations people? They
1: didn't talk about any specific community population and like any considerations that they had so when it, so at the very end I asked I was like listen you know like I'm because all the tapes that they were showing were like things that were literally filmed in like the 80s or early 90s all white men and you know all of these oh, are okay so that phrase
0: right there all white men I put an equal sign next to that and I want to put the word worthless
1: So, so at the very end, I was like, um, I'm curious about the diversity of these studies that are being presented and like, right. Like, um, uh, did this include diverse populations? Yes or no. And if not, like, are there additional considerations for specific populations?
0: And the answer was
1: Uh,
0: equals worthless.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I feel you paid money for this. Well, in terms of standards of care, like I feel like I have a pretty good framework for things, but I mean, I I do feel like I have to do more research, research which, which is but just
0: but you paid money for this,
1: right?
0: And it fulfills a requirement for a CEU for right. the California. And so to California. yeah,
1: exactly, exactly, exactly. Ah. And so that's where I feel like like therapists often get stuck is like we're we're only as good as the information being presented to us, and so you know we so unless we are constantly questioning things and recognizing that there are blind spots on our own, you know, people make assumptions that what the the information that they have is all that they they need. And then we end up with bad therapists. So
0: I'm having like a really strong somatic reaction to this course you took and we were describing it. I mean, certainly no fault of your own. You're just And it was
1: eight hours long, Kimberly. There was plenty of time.
0: So that, that is, like I said, this has gross negligence to not include any, BIPOC. Right. Are you kidding me? Disabled? Right. Uh, Homeless?
1: Chronically ill. (sighs) Right. Nothing. It was all based on like these theories that. So it was
0: just, it was just paperwork. It's just book work.
1: Yeah,
0: basically. It was certainly not trauma-focused suicide prevention
1: right.
0: or trauma-informed. Right. I want to say WTF to whoever right. gave that course. Right. And I'm a baby therapist, and I feel empowered to challenge that.
1: Right. <clears throat> no, I...
0: Kimberly, get a little fired up. Pretty
1: sad. Pretty sad. So, anyhow, all that to say, always learning. Always learning. Being aware of our blind spots and pushing into questioning
0: Okay, two questions I love to ask people and I don't know why these two questions are just easy favorite color green what shade of green
1: olive or sage
0: oh okay Mm -hmm. forest green
1: Ooh, that's got a little more blue in it and black yes Mm
0: -hmm. okay favorite ice cream oh there's your favorite color and I just happen to be wearing my favorite shade of green
1: yes yes uh, favorite ice cream, ice cream flavor, yeah. Cherry Garcia
0: by Really? Jerry. Wow. French vanilla. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. vanilla bean from Tillamook.
1: Ooh, vanilla bean. A good vanilla bean cannot be undervalued. It's the bean part that's important, the vanilla bean.
0: Absolutely. Right. Okay. okay, let's end on a fun note. Yes. Um... Not that the things that we haven't talked about are fun, but they're they're getting, we're getting kind of deep. I mean, this is the... It's funny. I would so, hope so. We're both, <laughs> we're both therapists. Let's have a really Thomas. superficial conversation. Oh my
1: gosh. Could you imagine? So cringy. Wow. I,
0: this is the first thing I love. And I decided this before I became a therapist. I, I decided the only people that I really care about having a relationship with are people that can speak to their trauma openly and honestly. Right. Oh. If you can't speak about your trauma... C- clearly, with understanding right. and without hesitation, I have no interest in having a relationship with you on any level.
1: Right, right. I hear you. No, I'm the same way. I, yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: I love that we talked about art. That was super fun.
1: Yeah, that was so fun.
0: Uh, let's see. Okay, music. What are your mu- music choices? Which your- Okay,
1: okay, okay. Well, I made you a little playlist so I can send it to you on Spotify. Um, okay. Okay. So if we're going, so uh, what is it called? Here she Um, is.
0: She's freezing up. She's freezing up.
1: No, I'm not freezing up. I just need to get the name right. (laughs) I just need to get the name right. Okay. Um, so two songs that are like, uh, by the way,
0: by the way, this is the deal breaker for our friendship.
1: Okay, Okay. 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 Got it. Um, so the two songs that are like soundtrack to my life, like, Transit like two songs. One is um, Araba Tour by Sigur It's like the most beautiful transcendent song you will ever listen to in your wow. life. It is so cinematic. They have a boys choir. Ooh. It's like...
0: And I know you're an art snob, so you're not going to send uh, me something, something bad.
1: Oh, so good. I will send it to you. The second song is... Um, Prelude in C sharp minor, by, by Rachmaninoff. My husband plays it all the time on the piano.
0: My favorite like, Rachmaninoff song uh-huh. is from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So this one,
1: so this one is like romantic era. My husband loves playing like romantic era. He's classically trained piano, but that one is like been with us for a really long time he plays that most evenings um so those are my two like like oh and um clear Lune obviously um, de Lune.
0: wow okay yeah. obviously that's thin nice for me really it's, uh, yeah, yeah but but I, i'm not gonna try feel- to yuck i'm not gonna try no, to hear no. you it yum.
1: feels very soothing and relaxing to me okay.
0: true okay. that
1: um, okay, so then th- so those are my like transcendent like life theme songs. um for fun,
0: or shake it off between sessions music. yes,
1: or sh- it, I love um don't Stop me Now by Queen. Don't stop me, now. Yes, that one. I hope we Yes, I love that song. That is like a serious serotonin boost for me. I like a tiger defy the laws of gravity admiration by That's in like Lady Godiva. I'm gonna go 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 there's no stopping me. Also, um downtown by Maclemore. Mm. And um uh burning by Maggie Rogers. Maggie Rogers was wonderful. Um, and then stuff that I just have playing on my house all the time is um, the entire soundtrack to Hamilton. So, Oh.
0: My daughter and my ex-wife love Hamilton. They had it playing all the time. I never got into it.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think that's probably my, my opinion that will get me in trouble, culturally speaking, is I don't like Hamilton. Oh. I
1: love Hamilton.
0: I have foundational issues with the whole idea.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Having some feelings here. It's okay to have. As a white person. Sure. Yeah. What what do you mean?
0: I don't like the idea that we deify or glorify slave owners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm a white person and that's. That's thin ice. I don't know that I even should be. Boy,
1: sure,
0: yeah, yeah. I just want to be really careful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we still can be. We can still be friends, Claire to Lynn notwithstanding.
1: Yes. Well, and 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 here's our interdependence, right? Ah. We can be different and have different likes and experiences. And hold those as valid not, I'm for not both a big of fan of Jerry Garcia. And, and that's fine.
0: Either as an ice cream flavor or as a...
1: It's Cherry Garcia.
0: <laughs> Fair.
1: Cherry. I didn't say anything about a guy named Jerry, except for Ben and Jerry. So maybe, I don't know. That Jerry, but not... Ben and Jerry is a great company.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Ask me whatever question you want to that you've been dying to ask me. Because I feel like I've... Oh!
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, You seem rather self-deprecating.
0: Of course I am, of course I am.
1: I'll own that. And I'm curious about that, because when I see you, Kimberly, like, they're just so, like, go. there's, you, like, you bring such a wealth of experience, not just in the therapy, like, com- like community mental health realm, but also, like, in general, like, your life experience, like, you've written books, you've done, like, um, you know, all your stuff with photography, you've done research, you've, like, spoken all over the place, you've taught, you've done all these things, right, and you're an amazing, amazing therapist, and, like, TikTok personality.
0: You don't know that because you haven't had me as your therapist, so you really don't know
1: that. I would assume if you have the job you have and you have as many clients as you have that have been seeing you for a while, that you are at least decent. Okay. Um,
0: I, I, I can hold my own.
1: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, there's a the
0: self-deprecation, okay.
1: right? Right. Um, and so I'm just curious about that because I, like, is, yeah. Like, I, I'm curious.
0: If I had my brain model, I could talk to you about why. Mm -hmm. And I probably don't need it because I can do this. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Dan Siegel. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, here's our amygdala. Mm -hmm. Just hiding on in there. Mm -hmm. just Resting Mm -hmm. and always looking, 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 looking. Mm -hmm. I was taught as a child that my needs didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Both through being adopted Mm -hmm. and being adopted into a family who had just suffered the death of a child. Yeah. So they're recovering from their own trauma. And so I feel when we talk about attachment, I don't have an attachment style. Mm -hmm. Rather, I have what I have coined a detachment style. Mm -hmm. So when people say nice things about me, I don't feel like those things are deserving to land on me. So I keep a basket that those things can go in. And I used to keep the, that basket at arm's length, and then I would lean over and push it out of reach, and I would lean over a little more and push it just as far as I can reach, you know, yeah, push it away from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see it, yeah, but I can't grab it. Sure. And over the past several years, I have been, this is amazing, I had this conversation yesterday with a client. I've been forced to pull that basket closer and closer and closer mm-hmm. because the people giving me compliments, mm-hmm. I love and trust and respect. And I don't want to insult them, or uh, if they're an expert in whatever it is, they're an expert in, and they're telling me nice things about myself, mm-hmm. and I and I respect and love them, yeah. and, and honor them. I must, by default, take whatever they're giving me and hold Save it close.
1: Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. So it's nothing about my self worth increasing. It's nothing about my self image or self perception increasing. It's everything to do with pre you know higher cognition going, okay, Kimberly, sure. well, the, the logic involved here sure, dictates sure, that sure, since sure, they're an sure. expert and they're saying something that you must you know, hold. So the self-deprecation is a default setting. Absolute default setting. And then as I understand trauma, anxiety, separation, depra- all those things, I can, and that's how I process it is, is uh, through that higher functioning. Sure that's the only way I can say that I deserve even I don't even like saying that word right now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. these things yeah so that's yeah that's the trauma focused lens that I have to view my own life through sure does that make sense
1: absolutely well and I think the thing that I would say to that Kimberly is I think one of the things that's been so freeing for me because I used to operate in a very similar way maybe not as um I just became very anxious with the attention piece of it, right? But I think what has been freeing for me in my own therapy journey is coming to a place of acceptance and groundedness of like who I am and what I have to offer that is, doesn't matter who says it or doesn't. Because at the end of the day, I think we talk, you know, we hear this, we throw around the word humility all the time. And I don't necessarily see it as like, putting yourself down or making yourself less than you are. It's like a groundedness in who you actually are, like a, the reality of who you are and what you bring to the table. Not an inflated version of yourself, not a deflated version of yourself, right? But just who am I, right? Because then at the end of the day, and I see that in you. You may not feel like you have it all the time, but I see that in you, this groundedness and who you are, and the value that you have, and the space you're able to take it take up, right? Just because you're human, right?
0: Right? Don't make me cry. I have Doctor Barry starting in ten minutes, so don't you dare make me cry.
1: <laughs> right. Thank Anyways, you. That's very sweet. So, like I see you, I see you taking up that space, and I would hope that that would continue to grow for you, mm.
0: right? right that that it sounds like a blessing almost
1: yeah,
0: yeah. thank you <sighs> okay so it's official i'm in love with you
1: i love you too that's so exciting we need
0: to do this more often we do and yes there is not enough time in each week i
1: know
0: there really isn't I and mean, we
1: there are just so many things we didn't even get to talk
0: about. Well, everything. Yeah. And I think the things that we talked about are what rise to the surface mm-hmm. in this particular moment. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, thank you for having me. No, 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 no. Thank you.
0: It's I, I every every interview I do I consider very selfish mm-hmm. um, use of my time. So thank you for this gift.
1: Thank you.